0: Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. This is Ashley Olander.
1: And this is Art Middlecoff.
0: This is our fourth Ask Art episode entitled, The Spirit and the Letter. So Art, here's our question from one of our listeners. If Charlotte wanted us to rely, most of all, on the Holy Spirit for guidance, why was she so specific? For example, the timetables. If we were handed her 20 principles alone, I think there would be a wider array of practices, but she expounded on the specifics of her method. Should those things be a jumping off point or an end goal? Obviously, there are areas most CM people see as being flexible, but what if you don't keep a nature journal? What if you start with ancient history or you don't do short lessons? What if you choose right start math?
1: So, first, I just want to say that I, I love this question. I love this question because I think it's a very honest question, and I think it gives a prompt for exploring so many different topics, so I'm really thankful that one of our listeners chose to write this up and send it to us. And um, I'm actually going to start by saying something that, that might surprise you. Um, You know, the question opened by saying if Charlotte wanted us to rely most of all on the Holy Spirit for guidance, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say something maybe kind of radical. I'm going to say that Charlotte Mason didn't say to rely on the Holy Spirit for guidance.
0: Okay. Why would you say that?
1: Well, so I'm thinking specifically of the word guidance and guidance Mm -hmm. is a word that Charlotte Mason didn't use that often in her volumes, but the clearest place where she explains where we should get guidance for education is from volume one, pages 37 to 38, and she says, besides, though this physical culture of the brain may be the only groundwork of education, the method of it indicates what should be the method of all education, that is, orderly regulated progress under the guidance of law.
0: Okay, so what is that law?
1: So here's the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, when she has the opportunity of telling us where we should go for guidance, the one phrase, the one time she uses that phrase, it's the guidance of law, not the personal guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, your question, where, where is that law? Um, so if we just continue with that quote, moving into page 38, she says, the real reason why education affects so much less than it should affect is just this that in nine cases out of 10, sensible good parents trust too much to their common sense and their good intentions, forgetting that common sense must be at pains to instruct itself in the nature of the case, and that well-intended cases come to little if they are not carried on in obedience to divine laws to be read in many cases, not in the Bible, but in the facts of life.
0: That's definitely a little different than guidance from the Holy Spirit.
1: So then, yeah, exactly. So then if if Charlotte Mason spells it out so clearly in home education that uh, education is orderly regulated progress under the guidance of law, why do you think, uh, what prompted this questioner to ask, to, to suggest that Charlotte wanted us to rely most of all on the Holy Spirit for guidance?
0: I definitely hear that a lot, um, and I know it probably comes from Chapter 25 of Volume 2, um, the great recognition that we're all aware of about uh, the Holy Spirit's role in the education of our children. So I can definitely see why somebody would come up with that question.
1: Exactly. So uh, so we have the great recognition and the idea of how the Holy Spirit is the supreme educator of mankind and so how do we reconcile this idea if the holy spirit is the supreme educator of mankind why you know why am i sitting here talking about how charlotte mason said we should be following the guidance of law Um, is it spirit or is it law so remember the the, you mentioned uh, chapter 25 of uh, parents and children volume two so that was originally published in 1897 Uh, Nine years before that, nine years before she wrote about the great recognition, in 1888, Charlotte Mason wrote, With deep reverence be it said that the Holy Spirit Himself, the Lord and Giver of life, when He undertakes the education of a human being, operates according to law, works out those very principles of education which are proposed to parents, in fact, plays the part of parent to the willing and obedient soul." So here when, uh, this is the first reference I can find in Charlotte Mason's writings to really highlighting this idea of the Holy Spirit being the educator. And in 1888, in this very first reference, she's not saying that it's spirit or law. She's saying that the Holy Spirit operates according to law.
0: Okay, so we're all operating under divine law.
1: Right, exactly. And so I think that um, it's helpful to, you know, when, when people hear, when you hear people talk about the great recognition, you know, what are some of the things that, that you hear people, you know, how do, how do people kind of understand that? What are some different things that you've heard people say about what the great recognition is or what it means to them?
0: I hear that it means to them that the, the Holy Spirit is a guide, is a teacher, is there with you in your lessons, waiting to be an active participant with the parent, as long as the parent allows that to happen by not talking too much.
1: Right. And so I think, and who who's the, who's, I mean, why does she call it the great recognition? Because of the painting in Florence. Right. And so, and so there's this painting in Florence, there's this fresco and, and how does that, why, why does that painting lead her to call this the the term the great recognition
0: because in that painting as she sees in the painting she sees all of the subjects underneath the holy spirit
1: yes exactly and so when when we think about the great recognition a lot of people have kind of this story that in the winter of 1893 to 1894 charlotte mason went to florence And she went to the Spanish chapel of the Basilica of Santa Maria Novella. And there she saw this very famous fresco. And at that moment, she had like an epiphany. So she had like this eureka moment. And she had her own, and this eureka moment, she called it her great recognition. And um, that's actually not the true story of what happened. Um, She used the phrase, the great recognition, before She went to Florence. So she was using that phrase in uh, 1892, the year before she went to Florence. And the way she expressed it is she said, the great recognition which the educator is called upon to make, that God, the Holy Spirit, is himself the supreme educator of mankind and so it's it's not a great recognition that charlotte mason had in like an epiphany or eureka moment when she was in the spanish chapel it's a great recognition which she said that every educator is called upon to make so she's saying that every uh home educating parent every teacher needs to for him or herself make this recognition that god the holy spirit is himself the supreme educator of mankind and um I just want to clarify that, that phrase, the supreme educator of mankind, is she saying that is the great recognition that the educator must make the idea that the Holy Spirit is the supreme guide of the teacher? Is there, a difference between being, is there a difference between the Holy Spirit being the supreme guide of the teacher and the Holy Spirit being the supreme educator of mankind? See, here's the question. Who's encompassed in mankind? Who's included in mankind? Does that encompass only teachers?
0: No, that encompasses everyone.
1: Does it include believers and unbelievers? Yes. Does it include adults and children? Yes. So when, when the great recognition, it's not a great recognition that the Holy Spirit is there guiding the teacher. It's a great recognition that the Holy... Who's the Holy Spirit teaching?
0: Everyone. So it's a great recognition that the Holy Spirit is an active participant teaching all of mankind.
1: Including your child. So the great recognition is that the Holy Spirit is teaching your child. See, so it's not, that the emphasis is not the Holy Spirit is guiding you, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Teacher, but that the Holy Spirit is teaching your child. The Holy Spirit is there. He's teaching everyone. And just as he teaches everyone, he teaches your child too. And in, in that chapter, in volume two, on page 277, Charlotte Mason says, we begin by believing in the children as spiritual beings of unmeasured powers intellectual moral spiritual capable of receiving and constantly enjoying intuitions from the intimate converse of the divine spirit so what Charlotte Mason is emphasizing is that uh, the, the, the educator the teacher needs to make the great recognition that the Holy Spirit has direct access to your child and that your child is capable of receiving that intuition that touch um, that instruction from the Holy Spirit Himself. And, uh, you know, it's this idea that the Divine Spirit is going directly to your child. Uh, principle 20 of the 20 Principles says, We allow no separation to grow up between the intellectual and spiritual life of children, but teach them that the Divine Spirit has constant access to their spirits and is their continual helper in all the interests, duties, and joys of life. So we, as the teacher,
0: we're recognizing that the Holy Spirit is the instructor with our child. So that, that kind of changes everything because a, a lot of times we do, I, we do hear and think of as the Holy Spirit interacting with the teacher and guiding the teacher. And you know, if you don't know what to do during a lesson, you're praying and the Holy Spirit's helping you. But really, when we're looking at it um, from this perspective from Charlotte Mason, we're seeing that the, the interaction is with the child and that we need to have faith that that interaction is going to happen. Right? Is right. that where the faith in education comes from?
1: Yeah, I mean, isn't that doesn't that kind of turn things around quite a bit, Ashley? I mean, so so if if your take on the great recognition is okay, this means that if I'm stuck on a lesson, I should ask the Holy Spirit to tell me what to do. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do. I
0: right. mean,
1: I do that all. I mean, if I'm at a meeting at work and I get right. stuck and I don't know what to do, and ask. The Holy <laughs> right. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that asking for the Holy Spirit is 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 a bad for guidance is a bad thing. But what I am saying though is that that's, I don't think that's the heart of the great recognition.
0: Right. The heart of the great recognition would be that the Holy Spirit is interacting directly with the, with the student. And, and that, that's, I mean, that's huge.
1: Right. That's huge because then, so then here's, so that's, because that's Charlotte Mason is stating that as an objective fact, like an objective fact, like the Holy Spirit is the educator of mankind and the Holy Spirit is teaching your child. So then what is the implication? Why is it important that a parent make, that great recognition. It's not so much um, that that the parent will go and ask the Holy Spirit for guidance, but rather it's because what Charlotte Mason says, um, and it's a pretty radical thought, but what she says is that the mother has a choice that her actions can either help or hinder that work of the Holy Spirit. So earlier in volume two on page 48, she says, all our teaching of children should be given reverently with the humble sense that we are invited in this matter to cooperate with the Holy spirit, but it should be given dutifully and diligently with the awful sense that our cooperation would appear to be made a condition of the divine action that the savior of the world pleads with us to suffer the little children to come unto me as if we had the power to hinder as we know that we have. And, <sighs> And so I've given, I mean, I've talked, I remember I, I mentioned that in a talk at, at, a, at a retreat one time, and it, it ruffled some some people's feathers because they're like, well, they, they were wondering, like, theologically, is it possible to hinder the Holy Spirit? And, uh, you know, but but Charlotte Mason said, you know, if Jesus said, let the little children come unto me, we wouldn't be commanded to let the little children come unto him if 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 it was something that would automatically happen like we're only commanded to let the little children come to him because we have the power to block them and not allow them to come Him. and so charlotte mason is taking those words of christ and extending that to saying okay the holy spirit is present is the educator of your child are you going to hinder that operation or are you going to help that operation
0: Right, and looking at it from that perspective is definitely helpful
1: to me as the teacher um, when I'm coming
0: to look at how to do this method with my children, when I have that in mind, it definitely, it helps me to look at this completely differently.
1: Exactly. So, so the idea here is that when, when you make this great recognition and choose to cooperate instead of hinder, it's not so much that you sit down for, for a lesson on a given day and kind of sit down and pray and ask the Holy Spirit, like, okay, today, should we be using a textbook or should we be using a living book? You know right. which one should we use um, and then and then you kind of decide and that there's sort of this uh, kind of spontaneous thing where where it may or may not be appropriate based on this given moment um, what what Charlotte Mason would say is that is that um, the Holy Spirit is not so arbitrary, but he operates according to divine law. and so there are certain principles that describe the way the Holy Spirit operates in education. And so um, Charlotte Mason explains this in her chapter 25. She says, supposing we are willing to make this great recognition to engage ourselves to accept and invite the daily, hourly, incessant cooperation of the Holy Spirit in, to put it definitely and plainly, the schoolroom work of our children, how must we shape our conduct to make this cooperation active or even possible? So great question, how must we shape our conduct to make this cooperation active? And so Charlotte Mason says, we are told that the spirit is life. Therefore, that which is dead, dry as dust, mere bare bones can have no affinity with him, can do no other than smother and deaden his vitalizing influences. A first condition of this vitalizing teaching is that all the thought we offer to children shall be living thought no mere dry summaries of facts will do given the vitalizing idea children will readily hang the mere facts upon the idea as upon a peg capable of sustaining all that is needful to retain so
0: she gives us a way as the as an educator or teacher of our children to be able to allow the holy spirit to teach our child and i think that's brilliant
1: yeah, exactly. And so what she would say is that if you want to smother the Holy Spirit's influence, um, give your child you know, a, a sheet of dates and names to memorize. Right.
0: Give them, them a worksheet.
1: <laughs> give them a worksheet, because uh, those are dry summaries of facts. And according to Charlotte Mason, that's going to smother the vitalizing um, impact of the Holy Spirit. And so notice, you know, what's, the, what's the one word that, that kind of pervades that quote when she describes the Holy Spirit? I mean, what is, what is the character, what, what is, uh, she says that all the, the thought we offer needs to be living thought, you know, what, so notice that the, the, the word life and living, just how many times that's repeated in the quote, um, you know, the reason why, uh, why it's not a matter of memorizing, you know, worksheets and facts and textbooks is because she says the spirit is life you know where where did she get this notion that the holy spirit is life do you know where she got that concept the bible well i can tell you i can tell you where charlotte mason got the idea that the spirit is life remember when i read that quote to you from 1888 you know well before the great recognition she said with deep reverence be it said that the holy spirit himself the lord and giver of life so that phrase comes from the nicene creed And so as a faithful Anglican, you know, every Sunday, Charlotte Mason was uh, reciting the Nicene Creed where she would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. And so this creedal confession of the Christian church through the centuries has been that the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. And so she says, well, we're told um, by the creed that the spirit is life. So therefore, she says, the things that are dead, dry as dust, mere bare bones they can't have affinity with the person of the Trinity who is known as the Lord and the giver of life.
0: So this definitely shows why living books and living thought and living lesson are really what's going to educate your child.
1: That's exactly right. So on the very next paragraph, because the Holy Spirit is the giver of life, she goes on to say, teaching must be fresh and living you know and this is where we get the term living education i mean have you heard people refer to the charlotte mason method as a living education um it, Absolutely. It, exactly. So it's a living education, not because it's, it's interesting, not because it's fun or not because it's exciting. Um, the reason why we call it a living education is because of the historic confession of the church, the Nicene Creed. Um, we call it a living education because it's an education that is designed to cooperate with the lord and giver of life and uh, remember that she said that the person of the holy spirit operates according to law so so the idea is that the holy spirit is not guiding each parent in a different way um, but rather, it's, it's not so much that the Holy Spirit is, you know, kind of customizing his influence from one parent to the next, but rather it's parents learning to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You know, we need to be understanding the Holy Spirit and how he operates with life. And then we want to bring living materials and living elements um, into our lessons.
0: Right. I love that she took a look at this. She saw that there needed to be a living education, that we needed to, that the children needed the Holy Spirit to come in, that the the parent or the teacher needed to step back um, and allow the child to interact with these ideas on their own. And I guess I just, when I look at all of the subjects and all of the things that she has in her method, she gave us such a thorough guide based off of this.
1: Exactly. So she went on subject by subject. You know, she went sub by, subject by subject and said, "Okay, what would a living way be to teach each subject?" So, um, so, and she says there is no subject which has not a fresh and living way of approach. And so, for example, she said, she imagines, "Okay, what would a living, you know, the Holy Spirit is life. So, what would a living way?" Of teaching geography be. And so she says the child discovers with the explorer, journeys with the traveler, receives impressions new and vivid from some other mind which is immediately receiving these impressions. Not after they have been made stale and dull by a process of filtering through many intermediate minds and have found at last their way into a little textbook.
0: Yeah, so those, I mean, she really sees the difference is between the, the two types of, of learning, the stale learning and the living learning. She exactly. has such a beautiful picture of what each subject looks like.
1: That's right. That's right. And so she, you know, she moves on to history. Is he learning history? His concern is not, and again, this is from the same chapter on the Great Recognition. His concern is not with strings of names and of dates, nor with nice little reading made easy stories brought down, as we mistakenly say, to the level of his comprehension we recognize that his power of comprehension is at least equal to our own, and that it is only his ignorance of the attendant circumstances we have to deal with as luminously as we can. So Charlotte Mason goes on in this chapter, she says, what's the living way for geography? What's the living way for history? What's the living way for grammar? She even says that there's a a way to smother the vitalizing influence of the Holy Spirit in a grammar lesson. And there's a way to unlock or cooperate or support the enlivening influence of the Holy Spirit in a grammar lesson. And so clearly she says every single subject has a fresh and living way. And that, you know, when she says every subject, that doesn't really leave anything out as far as I can tell.
0: Right. And that would make complete sense because if the spirit is life, then in, in the Holy Spirit is educating your child, then there definitely is a living way for every single thing that you need to teach them.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, she says, she says in that chapter, books must be living. Um, you know, a lot of people that, you know, they, they talk about living books as they should. Um, but I think people kind of want to insert their own definition of what it means by a living book. And they think living and they say, well, that must mean, they think lively. Like a living book right. is a lively book. Or so interesting. <laughs> interesting, exactly, exactly. But living book doesn't mean lively book. Uh, a living book, it's a theological statement. A living book is a book that cooperates with the Holy Spirit because it is filled with vitalizing ideas instead of being stale and dull. And it's not, it's not necessarily completely easy to identify um, the attributes of a book that's, that's living. I
0: like that, vitalizing ideas. Yeah, is that why she uses she puts the word vitalizing in front right. of
1: ideas? Yeah, exactly, because vitalizing comes from the uh, the Latin root of of life, and so vitalizing is uh, etymologically related to the word life, and so um, you know vital, living, vital and living. So when you see mm-hmm. you know, vital and vitalizing in Charlotte Mason's writings, think living education, think Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, and so um, and so our questioner, you know, asked you know one part of our questioner's uh, question was if we were handed charlotte mace's 20 principles alone i think there would be a wider array of practices and um and you know as i've thought about this i'm not really sure that that's the case um here i mean just kind of going through the 20 principles i'm just going to list off some of the things that that you can get from just the 20 principles notice that principle number six says that the child should not be isolated in what may be called a child environment, especially adapted and prepared, but, mm-hmm. that we should ta- but that we should take into account the educational value of his natural home atmosphere, both in regards persons and things, and let him live freely among his proper conditions. And then she adds that it stultifies a child to bring down his world to the child's level. Um, so from principle six, we would see that natural conditions is a part of education Principle number seven uh, says that the formation of habits as understood neurobiologically, that's foundational to the 20 principles. Um, principle number 12 says that, that education should include physical exercises, nature lore, handicrafts, science and art, and should include living books. Um, from principle 13, we know that Knowledge should be conveyed in a literary form and from principles 14 and 15 We see that narration should happen after a single reading in order to develop the habit of attention So the 20 principles might seem short, but there's a lot of content there and and a lot of information there and um, You know, I think what we what we need to do though is when we look at the 20 principles We need to accept that they're very dense and filled with a lot of terms that have rich meaning for Charlotte Mason and that we can't um, just take the 20 principles and substitute in, you know, the meanings that we have for her words. We need to accept her language and her definitions for those words. Does that make sense?
0: It absolutely does. Yeah, if we start adding in our own thoughts of what we think that she's saying with the principles, we're definitely going to misconstrue what she says. I mean, if you really want to understand um, what she's saying, you definitely want to know um, what she means by these words, and and really study that and see,
1: right? Exactly, exactly. So if you just went on principle twelve and saw this this uh, phrase that uh, that that the that education needs to use living books, you know, unless you go and dig into her writings like we've done, you know, so far in our conversation, and say, well, what is a living book? Is it a lively book? Oh wait, no. A living book is a book that. Um, invites the cooperation of the Holy Spirit. So we need to dig behind the 20 principles to understand what did Charlotte Mason mean by a living book? What did she mean in principle six by an artificial child environment? What did she mean in principle seven um, by habits? What are habits and how are they formed? neurobiologically? What does she mean in, in principle uh, you know, 15 about the habit of attention? And what does she mean by nature lore? And, uh, and how do you develop it? And what does she mean by narration? So, so the 20 principles are, are a summary, but we have to go and, um, and dig in and, uh, and understand you know, the, the definitions and the concepts. And uh, you know, she's using these terms often as placeholders for a deeper range of ideas.
0: This goes to show that you really need to uh, be reading her, her volumes because that's where she's going to really go into depth on to each of these principles and explain exactly. exactly what she means.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, our questioner said, why does Charlotte Mason, you know, go, go and get so specific? Like, why does she go beyond the 20 principles? I, I think that she's actually just helping us to understand the 20 principles. So, you know, when, when, uh, when principle 12, you know, so our questioner said, well, what, what if you don't keep a nature journal? You know, she was asking about the flexibility in the method, um, you know, spirit versus the letter. And so the questioner said, what if you don't keep a nature journal? Well, so let's turn to principle 12, which says a child has natural relations with a vast number of things and thoughts. So we train him upon physical exercises, nature lore, handicrafts, science and art, and upon many living books. So we see this term in there, nature lore. Um principle twelve says we teach our children on nature lore that is a that is a fact of the twenty principles, and so I don't think Charlotte Mason meant to leave it as an open question for every every you know parent and teacher to come up with their own definition of what nature lore is right
0: right right exactly no she is she's definitely telling you what she i, I think it's just a quick snapshot of what she means but you right, right. need to dig deeper and understand what nature lore is because that's exactly. a big category
1: <laughs> exactly it's, it's a big category it could mean many different things right it could mean you know nature lore could mean to one person it could mean memorizing you know memorizing a list of uh, facts about you know botanical, the, the yeah. Latin names of flowers, you know, and, and that, okay, I got nature lore because I memorized my list of flowers. So is that what she meant by nature lore? So we have to dig. And so in uh, volume three, pages uh, 236 to, two, to 237, Charlotte Mason said, quote, the children keep a dated record of what they see in their nature notebooks, which are left to their own management and are not corrected. These notebooks are a source of pride and joy and are freely illustrated by drawings." brushwork of twig, flower, insect, etc. The nature walk should not be made the occasion to impart a sort of tidbit miscellany of scientific information. Uh, The study of science should be pursued in an ordered sequence, which is not possible or desirable in a walk. And then she goes on to say, it seems to me that the sine qua non of a living education, that all school children of whatever grade should have one half day in the week throughout the year in the fields. So let's take a step back there. Remember, like, can we remind ourselves, what is a living education again?
0: A living education is one that is filled with vitalizing ideas.
1: In vitalizing ideas, the influence of the Holy Spirit. And, she says it's, and so she says the sine qua non, which is the, the essential condition. She says the essential condition of a living education, a Charlotte Mason education, she says, is going out into the fields, school children of whatever grade. Should have one half day in the week throughout the year so this is every grade you know some people will say okay charlotte mason advocated you know that little children should go out and play in nature and of course she did advocate that but let's not let's not mistake that she's saying that children of every grade and that includes high school need to be out in the field with their nature notebook and so you know the questioner asked about flexibility from my point of view if you're going by Charlotte Mason and the 20 principles you're going to you're going to have your children keeping a nature journal and if you don't want to if you don't want to keep a nature journal to me it seems like you're not you know you're you're not following the Charlotte Mason method does that make sense it absolutely does i mean sh-
0: she says right there that it's important that they need to do it in all grades so you definitely can't argue with that statement.
1: Right. I mean, it's a direct link back to the 20 principles. And so then the, the, other, um, the other area for flexibility that our questioner asked about, what if you don't do short lessons? So let's go back to principle number 15 in the synopsis, the 20 principles, and it talks about the power of attention, the power of attention. So what is, and again, we have to take a step back and say, what does she mean by the power of attention? Remember that uh, when, you know, the first quote I, I read in our discussion, Charlotte Mason said that the physical culture of the brain is the groundwork of education. So short lessons flow from the 20 principles. They're needed in order to form the habit of attention. So we have the physiology of habit, principle number seven, attention, uh, principle 15, you add those two together and you get short lessons. Like I, to me, it, it just, now granted, lessons will get a bit longer as the child gets older and as the child builds up the habit of attention and so on. Um, but, you know, if you, if you drop short lessons, you're not really doing Charlotte Mason because you're not really following the, the concepts of the 20 principles, which talk about the neurophysiology of habit and the need to develop attention. It's as simple as that.
0: Yeah, exactly right. You, you can't have these super long lessons and your child's not
1: attending and now they're
0: dwaddling. I mean, she gives specific times for or lengths for every form. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. exactly. And that's not meant to quell the Holy Spirit. Let's be clear. When she says, you know, let's have a 20 minute lesson, that's not meant to quench the Holy Spirit. Um, that's meant to enable the Holy Spirit because uh, the idea is that the life giving lesson needs to be done in such a way that the child is giving his or her full attention. Like you said, if they're dawdling, if, they're, if their mind is wandering, that's not cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Um, it's brilliant. She's brilliant. <laughs> the fact I, that amen. She do- is brilliant. Amen. I mean, I totally, I, I agree a hundred percent. So now, you know, so then, then the next thing that the, the, you know, the last area that the questioner asked about, um, so can we get controversial, Ashley? Of course. <laughs> why not? <Of> course, <laughs> why, why stop now, right? So, exactly. <laughs> so, so the questioner said, well, what about right start math? You know, what about right start math? So, I mean, let, let's be clear. I mean, right, let's be clear about Right Start Math. I mean, it's, it's not a secret um, that it's based on the Montessori method. Um, I mean, I think the the Right Start Math website makes it pretty clear that the origins of Right Start Math is um, Montessori. And um, we need to really take seriously the fact that Maria Montessori had a completely different starting point from Charlotte Mason. And, and this goes back to the 20 principles. Remember that principle six, you know, Charlotte Mason said, when we say that education is an atmosphere, we do not mean that a child should be isolated in what may be called a child environment, especially adapted and prepared. That statement, that principle six, to me, it's almost like a prophetic statement by Charlotte Mason. So she wrote that five years before Maria Montessori, Published her first book on education. And uh, it's almost like Charlotte Mason just somehow knew to kind of prepare the world for the distinction between her uh, method and Montessori's. Because, you know, Montessori wrote about a children's house as being foundational to her method. And so I'm going to quote from Montessori's own handbook, originally published in 1914. Quote, This is Maria Montessori, quote, the children's house is the environment which is offered to the child that he may be given the opportunity of developing his activities. The special characteristic of the equipment of these houses is that it is adapted for children and not adults. They contain not only didactic material specially fitted for the intellectual development of the child, but also a complete equipment for the management of the miniature family. The child's house. It's a, it's a house that has stuff specifically designed for children, and that is the exact opposite of principle number six in the Charlotte Mason method, which says in her synopsis, which says that the child should not be placed in an artificial child environment, but should be learning in and from the real world.
0: Right. So any special math manipulatives that come that are shiny and are supposed to help your child to understand math concepts, Charlotte Mason says specifically not to use those things.
1: Exactly. That's right. And, and that was not just some kind of arbitrary thing, just some miscellaneous tidbit that she just pulled out of nowhere. That derives, that, that derives directly from the 20 principles that children learn in the real world because math is part of the real world. And math is not something that has to be placed in some kind of specially, um, uh, di- a special training th- thing fitted out didactically for children. But math is in the air that we breathe. It's in the world that we live in and we can learn math from, from and we learn math best from, from the natural world. You know, and and manipulatives is just part of it. I mean, I think in the end, you know, you have to kind of make a choice of, you know, whether you want to follow Montessori's philosophy or whether you want to follow Charlotte Mason's philosophy. And if you want to follow Montessori's philosophy, by all means, go use Right Start Math. Um, But if you if you're serious about Charlotte Mason and the 20 principles, then I urge you to use uh, use uh, a curriculum or use content that's defined and flows from Charlotte Mason's principles.
0: And if you ever have used math that flows from Charlotte Mason's principles, you absolutely understand that it is a living lesson and you see your child making these connections all on their own.
1: Right. And so this is not about, you know, it's not about trying to give badges to people who are following the rules and being more Charlotte Mason, you know, I'm more Charlotte Mason than you. That That's not what it's about. I nope. mean, it's about following a philosophy and understanding that there is a living way there's a way to apply the 20 principles to every subject that you teach. And math is no exception. And It is arbitrary to say, well, I like living books, but I don't like living math. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. And so, and, yeah. So, and so then, you know, I think that the, the last part of the question, you know, was, <clears throat> you know, that, that, you know, Charlotte Mason expounded on the specifics of her methods, should those be a jumping off point or an end goal? And I think what she's asking is um, should all the detailed specifics of the method that we find in the six volumes and the programs, should that be, should all those details be the end goal? And uh, I think, in other words, I think what the question is asking is should we, you know, should we be slavishly following exactly what the PNEU did? And and so here's, and I, I have to say, you know, Ashley, I have a, I have a pretty firm opinion on this. So you know, hear me out. I think nature journal, you know, nature journals, short lessons, living math, to me, these are all part and parcel of the method. Mm-hmm. But, but I do think that there are some adaptations that we can and do make to our context. Um, so I'll just give you some examples. Um, so in, in Charlotte Mason's timetables, like how many days per week was she expecting children to be doing schoolwork? Six. Yeah. So, so does that mean that if we follow a five day school week, does that mean we're, we're not following the Charlotte Mason method?
0: No, that does
1: not mean that. I mean, we're, we live in America,
0: it's 2019 and we certainly don't have six days of school.
1: Right. So, so do you see how, how on the one hand, um, the emphasis on short lessons is something that we need to do because it flows from the 20 principles and, uh, and it, and Charlotte Mason showed us how to do that and gave us actual times and lengths of lessons um, but the six day week versus the five day week, you know, that is something where, um, you know, we, we adapt to our context, but we preserve the principles, but we adapt them to the context. I mean, another example, you know, Mason's programs began with British history. And does that mean that, you know, here as 21st century Americans, should we follow the programs and start with British history also? Is that, I mean, is that what it means to be a Charlotte Mason purist?
0: No, it definitely, I, no, it doesn't mean that. And I say that because in her volumes, she doesn't say that you have to start with British history. I mean, she
1: says we do. She says we do. She describes it and says that, um, you know, that that's where they start for her children. But we have to understand the why behind that. Why does she say that they start with British history? And it's we like have to, it, yeah.
0: It starts with the child. We, it we, starts
1: with the child, yeah. exactly. And so that's where the that's where I that's where I, I need to qualify my position. So I, I hopefully I don't sound like I'm contradicting myself, you know. But I, I'm going to say, nature journals, absolutely. It's part. It's the sine qua non of a living education. Is starting with British history the sine qua non of the living education? No. But I do think that starting with your children where they're at is. And so I think that, um, you know, if in Canada you should be taught, your children should learn Canadian history. In Australia, they should learn Australian history. Um, so we, we have to look for the principles behind the practices. It's very helpful to look at the programs and to see what Charlotte Mason did in the sign, but then we have to say, why did she do that? And then what would it look like to express those same principles in our context, our five-day weeks, and our living in America or living in Canada or living in Australia? And a third example, you know, Charlotte Mason talks about, you know, the big three foreign languages, French, German, and Italian. Does it mean that you're not following the Charlotte Mason method if you choose to teach your children Spanish?
0: I hope not, because that's what
1: we're learning. Right, exactly. And so, um, you know, so we do, we do adapt. And so, you know, so the detail, all the specifics in Charlotte Mason's volumes, the programs and the parents review um, articles, it's great. And they give us a picture of what Charlotte Mason's principles, when properly understood, look like in practice. We have a real historical example of the Charlotte Mason method in practice in late 19th century early 20th century Britain and so with that wealth of information and that pattern before us we can translate that to our contemporary day and age but here's but hear me out if our translation of those principles to our modern context somehow gets us into doing right start math then I think something has gone wrong with how we're interpreting Charlotte Mason
0: absolutely it absolutely is going wrong I feel like you're, you're taking the 20 principles and you, yeah, you're definitely applying your own thought in what you think she's saying. And so exactly. It goes back to you really need to understand what the principles are. And I think once you understand what she's saying and what words she's using and you you read volume one, you read volume three, you know um, what she has to say about specific subjects, then I think you can adapt those to your family's needs. You exactly. Know, it's a guide. She has this beautiful guide of this living education that you can give to your children.
1: Right, exactly. And so you know, so so for 21st century America, um, nature journals, yes; short lessons, yes; American history, yes. You know, um, Charlotte Mason, Living Math, yes. Yeah. But I, and then there's one other clarification that I that I want to make. And uh, you know, I've been talking about the idea of of the Holy Spirit having direct access to the child, because I, I wanted to make a point. But but let me, I do want to emphasize though that the other part of it is real. So the Holy Spirit is the supreme educator of all persons, of all mankind. And that includes, that does include the teacher. I mean, that does include mom and dad. And so I I just want to make it clear that, you know, for, for, you know, homeschool parents, for mothers, you know, I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is also teaching you and uh, teaching you how to be a better teacher, and uh, on the opening pages of the first edition of home education, Charlotte Mason quoted the great Anglican theologian F. D. Maurice, uh, quote: "The woman receives from the Spirit of God Himself the intuitions into the child's character, the capacity of appreciating its strengths and its weaknesses, the faculty of calling forth the one and sustaining the other. In which lies the mystery of education, apart from which." All its rules and measures are utterly vain and ineffectual, so more, after Maurice is saying that the rules of education are ineffectual without the the special gifting of the mother and um I-
0: You've having this train of thought about, about her with just writing this whole entire method and it just being this guide that we as parents have from her and that we have our intuitions from the Holy Spirit, that these children are our kids and we know um, we we have a peek into their character. We know what what their strengths and what their weaknesses are, and so we can take this guide that she's given us and now apply it with our with the knowledge from the Holy Spirit to our children to educate them.
1: Exactly. So I think that you know I, you know all the stuff that I've said about how um, you know Charlotte Mason said that the Holy Spirit operates according to law and that our guidance is law. Let's not miss the fact that that just that bare law by itself according to Maurice quoted by Charlotte Mason it's it's empty so the law is there but it needs to be uh, even that law itself needs to be filled with the life of a parent a teacher uh, whether you're a homeschool parent or whether you're a teacher in a school you also need to be Living with the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit teach and guide you as a teacher and welcoming the intuitions into your child. And Charlotte Mason, you know, the the Spirit of God is your teacher, too, and he will guide you on how this law of education applies to your life. And Charlotte Mason gives a great example of this in Volume 3 on pages 16. And 17, and I want to read this whole paragraph because I think it says so much on this topic. Uh, Quote, having seen that it does not rest with the parents to use or to forego the use of the authority they hold, let us examine the limitations and the scope of this authority. In the first place, it is to be maintained and exercised solely for the advantage of the children, whether in mind, body, or estate. And here is room for the nice discrimination, the delicate intuitions, with which parents are blessed. The mother who makes her growing up daughter take the out-of-door exercise she needs is acting within her powers. The father of quiet habits who discourages society for his young people is considering his own tastes and not their needs and is making unlawful use of his authority. So do you notice in that passage where she talks about how the mother is blessed with delicate, Intuitions,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and that's kind of uh, to me, that seems to be echoing back to F.D. Maurice, who said that the woman receives from the Spirit of God Himself the intuitions. So, I think that when when Charlotte Mason talks about the delicate intuitions, I think she that she's blessed with, I think she's referring to the ministry of the Holy Spirit who gives these, these intuitions to the mother. And in this particular case, in this example, you know, the mother. Relying on these intuitions that she's blessed with from the spirit of God, she makes a decision and she requires that her daughter get the outdoor exercise that she needs. You know, she's, she's doing what she believes is best for the child. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. And I think about that during lessons, like when I'm needing, you know, when, when I get a prompt from the Holy Spirit to back off, or it's they're finished, or maybe I need to explain something in a different way, or, you know, just really helping me with my attitude or saying, or, you know, if I make a sigh, I'm like, in my child is, you know, I'm thinking about something else and I maybe sighed. thinking about that. And they, you know, now all of a sudden they're like, Oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? You know, I think that those are those promptings from the Holy Spirit that she's talking about that we, you know, we're not going to offend the child. We, we have the intuition to, to help them to grow, to know what they need, um, spiritually and physically, emotionally, um, and to help them, to help them with that. And I see the difference though, between the dad just saying, you have to do this.
1: Right. I mean the dad messengers? Like, I mean the dad is like such a negative example because the dad is like, look, he's just quiet and he just doesn't want his kids socializing. Right. And so is he using so so
0: it's his opinion he's putting it, on them. He wouldn't want to socialize, so why would he allow his children to do so? Right,
1: right. He's considering his own tastes, right? And so that's that's the that's the test, right? That's the key test. Charlotte Mason said that you know, are you exercising, are you using your intuitions? For, you know, when you're listening to your heart and what your heart is telling you to do for education and for your children, are you, is, are you listening to what your heart is saying is for the, solely for the advantage of the children, or are you listening to other voices inside of you which are for the advantage of yourself? And are you considering your own tastes? And so this is the challenge, right? Because if you hear a voice inside of you that says, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to go do nature. I don't want to set up an, a nature journal. I have my children do a nature notebook. What, what's, is, that, is that the Holy Spirit blessed intuition that's coming to your heart that's saying nature journaling is just not the right thing right now? Or is that considering, you know, what Charlotte Mason said, can, is that like the father who's considering his own tastes? You know, so if you're thinking about, I don't want to do short lessons, I don't want to keep a nature journal, I don't want to, you know, start, well, I don't want to start with, with local history, I want to start with ancient history, or I want to use right start math, what, what, what is the source of that voice? And whose best interest do you have at heart? What is your motivation?
0: Exactly, exactly. And I know, you know, especially with math, a lot of moms can operate out of fear. And yes. Fear is really the the driving force of, you know, making sure that you have every single lesson laid out, telling you exactly what to say and what to do. And I mean, I know it's scary <laughs> to kind of uh, to to actually believe in yourself and trust in yourself that you can teach these things to your children in a living way. Um, but I, you know, fear I think is a big is a big factor too. And when you're playing into that, and you're afraid that they're going to miss something, or you're afraid of, of a concept not being understood, then I think that definitely can change your motives as a parent or teacher.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up because fear, that voice of fear, that doesn't sound to me like the nice discrimination and the delicate intuitions with which parents are blessed. That right. doesn't sound to me like like uh like the you know, when Maurice said that the the woman receives from the spirit of God himself the intuitions into the child's character. You know, listening to the voice of fear or peer pressure or wanting to conform, to me those things don't sound like the special intuitions that Charlotte Mason was talking about, but you know, yeah. But you know, with all of that, you know, I just want to say finally that I I'm saying all these things, but I really don't want to sit in judgment on any mother or father or any teacher. Like I I am not the Charlotte Mason police and it's not, it's not for me to judge those motives um, and to tell, you know, to tell in any individual case or for any individual person you know, are you are you listening to the right voice or the wrong voice? You know, this is this is a decision that that every parent needs to make, and that you have the right and the authority to make. And uh, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm I'm gonna go back to a story that I've shared about before, but this is the story of uh, of a question that I got that really is what inspired this whole series of of ask art questions. Um, and I think you know, Ashley, which story I'm gonna talk about from when uh, this was a yeah. question that came up at the Mountain Mini.
0: Oh yeah, about the woman with her toes.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, the sine qua non of a Charlotte Mason education, uh, of a living education, Charlotte Mason said, is that you're out in the field year round to see the changes of the seasons. And so this sincere and genuine mother submitted this question and said, you know, I know that I'm supposed to go outside year round, but I have this health condition in my toes. I can't, I just can't go outside. And this is where... Um, there's a deeper law. I'm going to say that there's a deeper law that goes even than the law of brain science. Um, and it's the law of God's providence. You know, God chose you to be the parent of your child. And God made that choice knowing what your limitations are, knowing what, uh, and he knew what he was doing. God doesn't make mistakes. And so I just think that um, I just want to leave this by saying that, um, that cooperating with God and the circumstances that he has providentially put into your life, that, that is pure Charlotte Mason. And so when this mother needs to stay inside during certain cold seasons because of a health condition, and uh, to me, um, that, that is responding cooperatively to the constraints that God has placed in your life. To me, that is a pure Charlotte Mason way to approach education, I believe.
0: Absolutely, because she's, she's working, like you said, within her limitations, and she's not saying, well, I don't really like to go outside, so we're not going.
1: Yes, yes, and if there's anything that came across, it was the sincerity of, of the question, and so how those constraints play out on a family by family basis, um, you know, we just need to extend grace to each other, and, uh, you know, let's point to the the living education and the, and the good that's available to that. Um, But I don't want to be ever in a position of judging any individual person or family or school in their choices. Um, But I do want to continue to just highlight for people and hold out um, that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and the giver of life. And that a living education um, is, is the wonderful blessing and gift for, you know, for all Christians, all believers, all people who are seeking after God to invite that, that wonderful living way, you know, into their families. And, uh, and I just want to Keep holding that up for people and and encouraging them to embrace it to the extent you know as much as they can and to the extent they can. Well,
0: I I I think that's great. I I, I really just like the way that you just explained that. I think it gives us a good a picture of how um, the differences are. I don't know. I just really like the way you explained it. It's very simple and easy to understand, and you can and you can see the differences and really cooperating with the Holy Spirit and really um, having that true Charlotte Mason education or or not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, uh, so hopefully, uh, hopefully this an- answered the, the listener's question and we still have a, a number of other uh, questions lined up, and, uh, but there's also the opportunity to um, ask additional questions. So be sure to um, send us any questions over email or through Instagram or Facebook, and uh, we will be addressing it um, in later episodes. So uh, thanks everybody thanks. for joining us. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes.
0: Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast. We hope you
1: enjoyed the program.